This podcast was brought to you by RDU 98.5 FM. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to episode one. Today we're going to be talking about disarmament, nuclear weapons, the nuclear free movement in Aotearoa, and a little bit of climate change with a very special guest, Marcus Cole. Marcus works at the Disarmament and Security Centre, is a PhD student in political science and international relations, and one of the founding members of UC Disarm. Welcome, Marcus. Thanks so much for coming. Do you want to just tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and especially around the club that you run at UC? Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Marcus Cole. I um PhD student at Canterbury, as you said, and... Um, I look, um, and my research is involved in researching New Zealand's story in nuclear disarmament. Um, so, we obviously have a big history, and we can talk about that in a bit, but um, I thought that we needed more young people getting involved in this issue and to know a little bit more about this issue. So, a group of um, friends and I, fellow students, set up UC Disarm, which is the disarmament club officially the disarmament society of canterbury uh, just this year and we hope um, to get more students involved to learn more about disarmament engage with experts um, in new zealand and overseas um, organize commemoration events um, and also to just engage with each other on different disarmament issues because it's a huge topic and um, not many people know much about it so that's our hope, and um, yeah, really hope to engage. My understanding of disarmament is, by the Oxford Dictionary, the reduction or withdrawal of military forces and weapons, which is promoted in order to prevent and end crisis and armed conflict. Would you say that's right? Yes, that's a good description, um, but it's much easier um, to look at from a broader perspective. Um, so literally, disarmament is reducing and ultimately eliminating weapons. Okay. Um, and our group primarily focuses on weapons of mass destruction. So the big one being nuclear weapons. Right. Yeah. Um, but disarmament, as a broader concept, means that sort of weapons don't really make us safe. They actually instead make us less secure. Mm. Um, and they make conflicts more deadly and wars more protracted. So a few examples, if you look um, in Yemen, for example, there's been a war going on in Yemen for the last seven to eight years, yeah. and there's no end in sight. Um, there have been hundreds of, th- hundreds of thousands of refugees, um, people displaced from their homes, and it's all because the groups that are fighting there on the ground are being supplied by weapons um, suppliers from different countries and different companies. So um, the idea around disarmament is to reduce that. If we reduce the weapons, then livelihoods and human um, consequences of conflict will be reduced as well. Um, And if you look even in Israel and Palestine, that conflict recently, um, the bombs and the missiles that are um, being supplied to those places and those territories really protract the um, the conflict rather than help to end it. Um, and when you look at nuclear weapons, um, for example, in the last few years, North Korea has acquired its own nuclear weapons program. 
And it's really um, looked to the other nuclear weapon states and thought, yeah, if we get nuclear weapons, we'll be safe as well and we'll be able to protect ourselves. Um, so actually, that has actually made the whole world less safe because yeah. the increase of nuclear weapons um, has existed. So uh, the idea around Osama is really reducing that risk um, and with the goal of eliminating nuclear weapons altogether. Um, and that will actually give us peace rather than increasing um, the number of we weapons we have because we've got enough to destroy the world hundreds of times yeah. over. So it really is a serious issue and it's something that's going to be a long-term, um, going to take a long-term solution. So, um, yeah, that's basically where disarmament and hum humanitarian uh, humanitarianism comes into play. So um, we're all going to be affected if um, we let this get out of hand. Okay, wow. So coming to the nuclear-free movement, you could say that the disarmament movement has been in existence for a number of decades, dating back to the nuclear-free movement in Aotearoa. As time goes on, why is it becoming more and more important globally? I suppose you touched on it a wee bit talking about North Korea, but yeah, why over time is this something we need to care about more? Mm. Um, I would say it's actually always been really important for us to look at. Um, it's probably There's probably more information out there now, um, more accessible to us, but if we look back to when the first nuclear weapons were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, um, only two years after that, in our own city in Christchurch, there were a group of campaigners, anti-nuclear campaigners, who got out with some placards on the streets and marched down the, down the streets saying, we need to get rid of this bomb. Um, because they saw the destruction in, of those cities and the effect it had on the people, which was horrific. Um, nuclear weapons completely destroy cities. And the long-lasting uh, effects for anyone who survives those explosions are terrible, uh, radiation poisoning, burns, and uh, let alone the environment is completely um, irradiated. So, so yeah, going on that, New Zealand and our own people here um, really saw that we don't want to be part of this. Um, in the 70s um, and 60s, uh, the United States, Britain and France all started testing nuclear weapons in the Pacific, so that's our region, and... Um, a lot of people in New Zealand started to think, why, why are they doing it over here? Um, even though they say it's potentially safe, uh, why don't they do it in their own backyard? Um, and then we saw some of the effects of that on the local populations in the Pacific. And uh, many people here really rejected that, um, that notion that we would be part of a security alliance with these countries that would use such weapons to protect themselves and us because we could see that they weren't actually doing any good to anyone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, New Zealand really became um, quite strong on this issue and we went against our friends um, that we fought uh, in World War II with. Uh, we even took France to the world courts on the issue mm. and... Um, and then that really led to uh, a groundswell among New Zealanders um, calling for our country to be a nuclear-free zone. And so in 1987, we became a nuclear-free zone. And that essentially meant that 
we reject any use of nuclear weapons uh, for security purpose or even as a deterrent to to deter people from attacking. Uh, so, um, yeah, we left the alliance with the United States and Australia and we kind of went out on our own. Um, so that's really where our nuclear, uh, anti-nuclear story um, kind of um, began. And since then, um, we've really been a kind of champion of nuclear disarmament globally. Um, we're, we have uh, a lot of credence and um, a lot of a really principled voice on the issue. So um, we're only small, but we have a, a strong voice and it's very, very hard for a small country to, to kind of stand up, but um, we've actually been able to do that. And I think... Uh, it's a huge part of our identity overseas as well. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So, on so Aotearoa isn't necessarily thought of as a nation state, which requires conversations around disarmament due to our size and sort of quote unquote passive presence globally. But we still see it as relevant to us due to the nuclear free movement and we have a ministerial position in cabinet for disarmament and arms control. So in a modern sense, why is this still relevant at home? Yeah, that's the thing um, I often struggle with actually is that I, I see and I thought used to think this myself is that um, New Zealand's kind of done our bit in nuclear stuff. We're nuclear free. We did that back in the 80s. And, mm. um, you know, it's up to the rest of the world to kind of catch up to us. Um, but actually, the story continues. And um, actually, we're the ones that need to be having the conversations with those countries. Yeah. As I was saying, like, we have a principled voice in the issue. Um, we can say to like-minded countries um, of similar size hey, this is what we've done. We've declared ourselves nuclear-free. We've broken away from this alliance where nuclear weapons are going to be used. We're going to reject it. And it's not saying that um, we don't need security at all. We just don't need nuclear weapons to do that. Um, And so our own history is, like, really important. And I think um, having a minister for disarmament is also part of our legislation. This really shows how important it is to us. Um, It's good for us to engage with uh, our minister as well as um, civil society groups um, to raise any issues we might have about the direction New Zealand's taking or other countries are taking. Um, and also we have a disarmament ambassador um, who works for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade and their sole purpose is to represent New Zealand's disarmament position overseas. Oh, okay. So we have a really strong voice in that area and um, it's also important to, to recognise our place as a Pacific country, mm. um, the Pacific has been one of the worst hit places for nuclear testing and nuclear weapons testing. And there are still places in the Pacific that are contaminated from that testing uh, decades later. And so the environmental impacts of um, of those kind of things are really um, close to heart for New Zealand yeah. and, and our friends as well in the Pacific. And, um, and we actually work to, to help these countries join other disarmament um, initiatives and agreements. So um, earlier this year, in January, New Zealand, along with 50 other states across the world, um, nearly 10 of them were from the Pacific, um, ratified uh, the well, the entry into force of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, okay. which is actually called uh, also called the Nuclear Ban Treaty. 
So this is a group of countries that are like New Zealand, um, who reject nuclear weapons and have been fed up with years and years of of um, these nuclear weapon states not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so they finally got together and um, a lot of hard work from civil society and other groups are all around the world to get this treaty, United Nations Treaty, to ban nuclear weapons. And uh, we've had a lot of engagement with our Pacific neighbours uh, to help them to implement this into their own legislation. And um, I think it's really important for us to remember that yeah, as a region, we even though we're small, we do have a really strong voice, especially on this issue because of our history in it. Going back around to the environmental impacts, um, I've seen a couple of conversations which talk about how climate change is a risk multiplier for further conflict and impacts disarmament. How does this happen? Yeah, it's uh, there's so many intersections. Yeah. Um, I could talk for hours, but... Um, just going back to the Pacific, if we look at uh, the Marshall Islands, in the 60s they were bombed uh, or tested, tested nuclear, had nuclear weapons tested in their territory by the Americans. It was an American protectorate. Um, and, uh, yeah, dozens and dozens of tests and many of the local populations displaced, um, ongoing health effects um, to this day, intergenerational effects that have mm. happened. But if we look at the environment itself, uh, the testing grounds are completely off limits, even 50 years later, because they're so, still so radioactive. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the 70s and 80s, the Americans decided to do something about it because there were calls for them to remediate the, the environment. So they dug, a, dug up all the soil and put it into a hole and covered the hole with a concrete dome. And it's now called the Runet Dome. You can look it up. Um, and that's been sitting there. Um, but actually, some tests have shown that radioactivity is actually higher outside the dome than the stuff that's actually inside it. Oh. But nevertheless, <laughs> so it's awesome. kind of a, um, yeah, it looks yeah. good, but it, it's not really doing much. But actually, um, yeah, with climate change, sea level rise, these atolls across the Pacific, not just in Marshall Islands, but also in Mururoa and French Polynesia, um, these are becoming more and more risky, um, uh, or risky areas, because with um, sea level rise, uh, there's actually been cracks seen in these atolls, um, and if they were to spill into the ocean and leak more of this radioactive um, material that could really affect the, the food chain, the food supply um, yeah. to those countries. Resources. Yeah, and yeah. so that's just one little example. There's mm-hmm. many more. I guess the intensification of conflict because of climate change as well, that combined with the availability of weapons when you're losing resources due to climate change, when you're losing land. Yeah that would all have a big impact as well, do you think? Yeah, oh, completely. There's a huge um, scramble for resources Mm. um, to fund and supply militaries around the world. Mm. Um, And in the disarmament movement, there's different perspectives. Um, But generally, um, it's accepted that uh, some sort of um, security is needed for a country um, to protect itself. Yeah. Um, but if we just look at some of the numbers of certain countries, and I'm not going to 
really I'm not really picking on um, <laughs> the US, but they're just such an easy example yeah, because on. it's so astronomically high. Um, so US basically produces more carbon every day. Oh, sorry, this is the US military produces more carbon every day than all the cars on the road in the United States in one day. Far out. So the emissions from military alone um, is just astronomical. Um, and 3.2% of the GDP of the United States is spent on military. Seriously. And that's the largest economy in the world. So yeah. you can imagine how much money that is. Um, yeah, so if we look at that as one example, it's crazy. Um, the the For nuclear weapons, you actually need uranium, which is a limited supply around the world anyway. But to mine that uranium... Uh, the carbon that's emitted is oh, crazy. Yeah. Um, so all of these little supply chains that yeah. you don't really think about um, actually all add up. And mm. um, even if we look at something like another issue would be COVID-19, um, we've seen what it's done to the world. It's really shut us down. Mm. Um, health uh, health systems have been overrun, um, supply chains affected. But... Um, despite that and despite all the trouble that we had in 2020 and continue to have in 2021 um, last year the nuclear weapon states so there are nine of them mm. um, collectively increased um, their spending on nuclear on their nuclear arsenal by 1.4 billion dollars uh, and the collective um, cost of that around the world from those nine countries is $72.6 billion. So you kind of imagine we're in this horrible situation with COVID-19 um, and they're prioritizing nuclear weapons over yeah. health and increasing that. Um, I know that there's been a lot done on um, uh, and health, but um, when you look at the numbers, it's essentially prioritizing, jeopardizing... Uh, whole population and human destruction over the health of humans. Yeah. So like, to me, that it just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. It's like a kind of positive feedback loop, eh? With like more spending, more carbon emissions, yeah. more totally. resource and land destruction, and just round and round and round and round. Yeah, and you think um, that it's not just these military guys who want the nuclear weapons. Mm. There's such a big industry all behind it. Yeah. Uh, and to keep those companies going, to design the weapons, not just nuclear weapons, but other weapons, um, to extract the resources that's needed for that. Yeah. There's a whole supply chain there that is hugely, hugely profitable. Mm. Um, so, yeah, looking at that is just kind of um, something that's quite mind-boggling actually yeah why has it accelerated so much over i guess would you say the last decade it's kind of ramped up yeah um well we've seen around the world a few different things happening um well in the last decade we have north korea um acquiring their own nuclear mm. arsenal um that is kind of really fed off uh, well, in part by this antagonism um, from the United States. And, you know, you get a, a president like um, Donald Trump who didn't exactly help by saying that in front of the United Nations that he could completely destroy North Korea. Yeah. Uh, that's only going to embolden them to actually keep going with their nuclear mm. program. Um, 
there's been tensions with the US and Russia. Yeah. People often saying there's this second Cold War going on now. Mm. Um, and all of those things create distrust between countries. And when you have distrust, then you have protectionism and you want to protect your um, your people and your territory. And nuclear weapons um, is really tied up to that because it's all about power. Yeah. And it's all about showing how powerful. So would you say like having nuclear weapons is a deterrent or like a show off kind of thing or I don't know, like a way to kind of hold power? What do you think is like the motivation of countries like the US and North Korea and Russia to have nuclear weapons? Well, they'll tell you that having nuclear weapons um, creates peace and it keeps the peace. Uh, this sort of balance of power and balance of terror, I'd rather say. Um, and so, yeah, they they their thinking is this nuclear deterrence. So if you have a nuclear weapon and your enemy has a nuclear weapon, then neither of you are going to use it on each other because it would mean mutual destruction for both sides. So it's basically suicide. Yeah. Um, and that's what places like, well, that's how we got to this point where we've got nine countries that have nuclear arsenals. You've got, um, places like India and Pakistan who are really, um, well, they really don't get along and they have a border. They share a border with each other. Um, India got nuclear weapons and then the next year Pakistan got some, um, because they thought, well... If they have them, they could use it on us. If we get one, then we're protected. Yeah. But actually, you're putting at risk the lives and the environment of your whole country. Uh, and even a limited nuclear war between two states like India and Pakistan, where they use, say, 100 nuclear weapons, would create enough smoke to block out the sun for years and years, which would create global famine. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to be alarmist, but I'm just, <laughs> no, just telling it as it yeah. is. Um, because there are hopeful things going on, so we'll get right. to that. But <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom. Um, but it's just showing you the reality that nuclear deterrence really doesn't make us safer. It actually makes us less safe. And that's what New Zealand decided to do when they um, they broke away from the ANZUS alliance and, and said no to nuclear weapons. We thought, we're not going to buy into this idea that we're actually going to be protected by nuclear weapons. Because if you look at what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the destruction that was wrought on those cities and those people is, had no value. Yeah. Um, and and there's ongoing, ongoing consequences of that. And we're actually paying for it now because we've got more countries that have nuclear weapons. So um, it's really a, a fraught argument that... Um, that a lot of the, well, most of the um, nuclear weapons and nuclear allied countries will actually use to say yeah. we're actually going to be safer. But it's With trying to convince nation states of disarmament, how do you kind of get around them going, oh, well, you know, like, it's my, li- it's our liberty to have these nuclear mm. weapons and we need to be able to protect ourselves from xyz who's not going to give up their weapons because i guess in an ideal world you'd just have everyone go like okay we you know no more yeah but that's not perfect that's it's not a perfect world 
Yeah, that's the, I mean, and that's the kind of eternal question, I think. Um, yeah. The, and there's only so much you can do uh, as a small country. Yeah. But I think collectively, we can do a lot with other countries that are, are like us. And that's why the nuclear ban treaty was such an amazing achievement. It's not going to... We, do we don't expect the nuclear weapon states to sign up to it anytime soon and yeah. say, yeah, we're going to give them all up. Um, because that mindset that they have is so entrenched at every level. But that's where education comes in a lot. And educating young people um, in our own country about our own history yeah. is really important. Um because when we go overseas or if we work overseas or if we work for government and represent our own country, to know the stance that we've taken and to talk to people overseas about that um, is actually impactful in its own little way. And if there's enough people doing that, you can really get a groundswell going um, to challenge these nuclear weapon states and their ideas um, and actually keep them in check. Yeah. Because if we all put our hands up and said, oh, it's too hard, it's too much of a big yeah. issue, where would we end up? I don't want to know. <laughs> but, yeah, um, well, with young people, I guess we've seen it with climate change. We've seen the impact that young people can have, especially in New Zealand and globally, actually. Mm. So I suppose that's the kind of like dream, I guess, is to have enough young people caring about it and speaking up about it. Yes, yeah, totally. And I think, um, as I was saying before, a lot of us in New Zealand can be like, yeah, the nuclear thing is like, it's cool. We're proud of it. But... Um, it was back in the 80s and it was kind of like, you know, it's sort of a bit hippie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's all about peace and love and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, that, that yeah. is part of it. Who doesn't want that? But um, but actually, yeah, it's, it's more than that. We need to keep engaged. We need to keep, um, keep learning about this mm. because it's an ever-changing yeah. environment. Um, I mean, there's stuff like, there's a campaign out there now called the Campaign Against killer robots or to stop killer robots yeah i've seen that and yeah these are like drones that are that are armed with weapons that some countries are developing so that they don't have to use their own people um and then you know targeting civilian populations or enemies um to take them out and that it's kind of scary because you get these robots that have ai installed they make their own decisions. Yeah. Uh, there's so many things that could go wrong there. Like, so, what's that movie? Oh, what's it called? <laughs> it's like Star it's Wars. With, <laughs> <laughs> it's not Star Wars. Oh my gosh, I feel so stupid. It's the one with um Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Terminator. 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's Terminator. <laughs> totally. It's like yeah, it's like modern day Terminator. Oh um, gosh. when it yeah, if it goes wrong. So, actually, New Zealand has um, taken a stand on this. Our disarmament minister just recently came out and said um, he's, uh, he's really keen to engage with civil society and others and experts so that we can really live up to our, our legacy as a disarmament-focused country. It's not just nuclear weapons, it's yeah. other stuff. And in these emerging technologies um, are really important to, um, to make sure that we know what's going on and actually put steps in place so that we can kind of control. Far out. So, yeah, I was going to say, like, what does the future of disarmament look like? But I think we kind of covered it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not um, only is it sort of going into this nuclear free, but it's also looking at the potential 
of other weapons that are being developed. Yeah. And and also like seeing the connections everywhere. Mm. Um, and that's what I've started to do a little bit um, as I study more. Um, and if you're a student, it like, doesn't matter what you're studying. Um, something may be related to disarmament. So, for instance, if you're studying robotics or yeah. technology or something... Um, are you studying a little bit about the ethics behind that and where things could go um, and and the dual use behind that sort of technology? Or if you're studying the environment um, and the sciences in that area, um, you know, do you have a knowledge of what would happen in conflict or um, what would happen to the environment and people in conflict zones or especially when there's sort of nuclear weapons involved yeah. or biological weapons so all these other things and like even art and music and things um all can have an element that actually has a message yeah so that's what i really like is when you see all these different backgrounds of people um kind of coming together with a with the same purpose but having different ways and bringing different things to the table so there's actually the there is a lot of hope i know it's like a huge heavy topic and it is easy to just get scared yeah. and just want to run away yeah um like because i do sometimes but um <laughs> but yeah it's, it, there's definitely some good stuff that's happened and um yeah we just need to keep going and yeah have still have hope what does an ideal world look like for you and for the movement <laughs> if, we're, if we're thinking big if we're thinking of the dream yeah Oh, ideally, no nuclear weapons, nuclear-free yeah. world. That's that's where we all want to be. Um, and never to live under that risk mm. um, because it's always there for us and it has been yeah. for the last 75 years. Um, so, yeah, a world where we don't have to worry about that. Um, and I think for the movement, uh, as I was saying, we really want to engage more with young people. I mean... Um, I sound like an old person, but I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm reasonably young, but um, useful. <laughs> yeah, cheers. So, um, but yeah, engaging with younger people, like so, kind of like how I have. But so I, I didn't. I, I used to live in Japan, and um, oh. I, uh, I went to Hiroshima, and I went to the museum there, and I saw what it was like, and I was like, wow, this is terrible, terrible stuff. Um, came back here, and then did some of my. I started my postgrad. Um, and that's when I really got involved in disarmament. But before that, I didn't really know much about it. I yeah. knew we were nuclear free. I knew about the Rainbow Warrior, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, but once I started learning more, I was I realized like, yeah, this is a really big issue that we can all play a little part in. Yeah. And I think having more younger people involved uh, is the way forward because we need that next generation of leaders to take our legacy and our nuclear-free legacy forward. Um, and we've seen so much um, enthusiasm for social change, justice, climate change action from younger people. So I feel like working intersectionally on this issue um, is the best way forward and that's how we can actually keep up the hope. Yeah. So tell me about the club, UC Disarm. What have you guys got coming up? Who can join? Sure. Um, yeah, so we started this club earlier this year um, and we're a kind of the student affiliate of the Disarmament and Security Centre. So that's an NGO that's based here. 
um, that I work for. And uh, yeah, we, we really wanted a student arm um, to engage more with younger people. So um, yeah, we've got uh, our, our website for the center is disarmsecure.org. Um, and if so, if, you, if you're a student and you want to write an essay or um, do more research on disarmament-related topics, there's so many resources on this website. So I'd encourage you to, to look into that, or even if you're just interested, um, check it out. Um, and with the club, we're hoping... Um, well, we'll actually be having a, a table on Club's Day, uh, well, nice. on, during reorientation week. Oh, so yeah. that's the first week of semester two at Canterbury. Um, so that's Tuesday, July 20th. Um, we'll have a little table in Haidaroa. So come up and talk to us. Um, sign up as a member and um, follow us on on social media too. So we've got Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. So that's the Disarmament and Security Centre. Um, and we'll also, we've also got a, a Facebook group for the club too nice. if you want to join that. So um, so yeah, we're hoping to engage more with experts, um, promote internship opportunities and work opportunities for students who want to get into the field, um, maybe do some kind of Q&A sessions with awesome. local people, um, show films and things like that. And um, yeah, on August 8th, um, which is around the time of the anniversary of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, we're having a um, commemoration ceremony at the World Peace Bell in the Botanic Gardens. Oh, beautiful. So that's at 11 a.m. And we always always get a lot of um, a lot of local students, young people um, uh, coming along to that. So come along. Um, and then on the 11th of August, uh, Wednesday, 10 a.m., we run a, we're doing a thing called Disarm Corridor, which is an online like webinar oh, yeah. that anyone can join. Um, and we always get experts to come and talk about various um, disarmament-related issues. So this time we'll be talking about biological weapons. Oh, wow. Um, we'll have a couple of experts um, coming to that. So that'll be on our Facebook page. We'll set up an event and just a link to that to join that. Um, free to come along and just listen, or if you have any questions, then that's yeah encouraged as well. Um, and then later on in September, on Tuesday, the 21st of September, which is actually the UN International Day of Peace, we'll be having a film screening on campus. I haven't chosen the film yet, but <laughs> it'll be something um, awesome. related. Yes. <laughs> um, and then later in October, we've got a, an event for the Heritage Festival here in Christchurch. So that'll be an annotated film screening of um, our local anti-nuclear history. So, so yeah, there's a few things coming up, um, but yeah. Engage with us on social media and, and keep following up with that. Awesome. Thanks so much for the plugs there. I'll put some of the links there in the show notes. I guess my last question is we've covered a lot of like intense stuff and quite a bit of like doom and gloom. What would you say is kind of something that someone listening to this could take away and do to make themselves feel like they're contributing to solving this issue yeah that's the hard one because it's so different to climate change because you mm. can kind of like recycle or do something yeah. like that and you feel like you're actually contributing but with disarmament it's like we can't ask people to go and d disarm yeah. bombs and things <laughs> so um yeah so uh i would say first of all educate yourself a little bit more uh, inform yourself rather um so yeah, engage with the resources we've got on like the website, um, read a bit more about it, watch some films and documentaries 
And then through that, you can start talking to other people. Yeah. And I think that is something that's actually, um, we underestimate the impact that that actually has. Yeah. Um, so doing things like that, uh, engaging with the club. Um, also, you could look at where your money is going. Um, are you buying things from corporations that might be linked to the nuclear weapons industry? Mm. Um, we had an issue um, which has actually been solved now, but our, our KiwiSaver accounts in New Zealand yeah. were linked to, um, to that industry. Mm. Um, and so pressure was put on the government to change that. Um, and if you look at even your bank, uh, what bank you use, perhaps they have uh, a link to, I know I won't name them, but yeah. <laughs> there are certain um, banks that, um, yeah, that have connections to the nuclear weapons industry. So that's yeah. little ways you can actually make a change um, and actually, yeah, engaging and coming to some of our events, talking to people, I think is, is the best way we can do it. Yeah, it feels like it's kind of an underground issue. I, I feel like not many people kind of, know what it is yeah yeah informing an education aspect would be really important yeah and and there's always things you can take away i mean even for me i feel like i i know a tiny little bit about disarmament yeah because it's such a huge topic (laughs) so it can be overwhelming and a bit um doom and gloom sometimes but balancing it with some hope and actually interest as well i think is really important awesome well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's Thanks been a really me. interesting chat. Um, I'm going to link all the things you've talked about, all the plugs and social media in the show notes. And yeah, I just want to say a massive thank you t- for you, for the work you do, especially in relation to disarmament. It's really cool. And really nice to see a young person <laughs> getting involved. Young so gosh. thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, and... Um, yeah, it's awesome to, um, to see that you're interested in it as well. So cheers. Cheers. Peace Thank out. Thank you. <laughs>